Welcome to episode four of Esher Laburi, a podcast about the art of Pshat with Rebusha Feinstein's Egret Moshe. We're studying the question of how much evidence one needs to Paskin, and when one has to Paskin, even if all the evidence is not in, by going through a series of relevant Shavuot in chronological order. Here's a brief simplified summary of what we've learned so far. Uh, number one, when you have enough evidence to allow an Aguna to remarry, you can't wait for further investigation. Just delaying is considered being Ma'agehir, especially if there's a man willing to marry her. The requirement to get all the evidence for Kafrid and presumably for other at least similar prohibitions um, is not just to get enough evidence. It doesn't apply if getting all the evidence would take real effort. However, you can't look away from available evidence, even if that will cost you money and effort. Number three, a woman with unexpected bleeding can assume that it was caused by a recent gynecological exam past the first three days of Shiva Nikiyam. If the doctor is unavailable, or if the doctor can't say one way or another if there is a wound. But if the doctor is available, she must ask him. In that case, you're obligated to obtain all the evidence that is presently available. Number four, uh, when it comes to shotness, there's a rabbinic prohibition against using uh, the item without full investigation if the odds uh, that there is shotness are what we call mu'ud hamasla, and that presumably is the same as a rule for all prohibitions, that you're not allowed to do a, at least a biblical prohibition if the odds uh, of violation are somewhere between 5 and 15 percent. However, if the odds are lower than that, then we call it a chashash. At that point, Rav Moshe says there's still a positive obligation to check, although one which presumably can be pushed aside in most cases by bother, that's the standard we learned from, ka- um, from the other Kafir case, um, but there's no prohibition against using it without and that has an interesting nafkina, which is that you can sell an object to somebody who won't check uh, without violating prohibitions of assisting someone else to sin, because there is no sin in using an object um, without without getting all the evidence when the odds are a mere chashash. Um, it's only a positive obligation. Okay. Uh, what we'll be doing uh, in this episode is the question of whether kosher gels in a car. Um, we're reading Igret Moshe... Uh, this Shiva is dated Yud Zayin Adar, Tafshin Saf Gimel 5723, um, and is addressed to Rav Nachman Tzvi Kornmal of uh, the Gonav Bezdin of Albany. So here's what Rav Moshe says. In the matter of gelatin, which is made from um, skins of kosher animals, which have also been salted, meaning that we've solved all the problem. If this were meat, it would be kosher. And now the question is, uh, but is meat? Can you put it uh, together with milk? Not in the right. We're not talking about cheese making, which we'll see in a moment. We're talking about stomach linings as opposed to skin. This is straight skin. Uh, Rav Moshe assumes that gelatin is made out of skin. Um, if you look at Wikipedia, gelatin seems to be made of things other than skin, and among other things. And it's a fair issue whether this shiva is affected by the assumption that we're dealing specifically with skin. Because as Moshe says, that, right, so the question is whether whether you can treat it as parv, it's kosher, but can you also treat it as parv? So as Moshe says, he's already explained in Igrid Moshe uh, Simen Yeridei uh, Lamed Zayin um, that sheyoter no telinius dati sheor bechalav lecha shum itur af lo midrabanan af beoros lachim. So as Moshe already explained that he believes 
that the Torah excludes skin from the category of meat, even if the skin um, is um, is, right, is is moist. I mean, presumably that something from it can get into any kind of mixture if you um, if you cook it or engage in other modes of transfer. Nonetheless, Rav Moshe says that you can treat it as parv because the Torah doesn't consider it meat. However, he says, even though he already explained that that is his position, that's only his position in theory. Because he found a prima gadim who says, And the prima gadim held that there is an issue drabanan of skin and of skin and milk, and Rav Moshe in practice is not going to rule against the uh, against the prima gadim. However, he said, I wrote that if you're dealing with skin that has been completely dried out, so that there's no possibility of transferring uh, of transferring um, any taste, and he thinks that there the Ramah and the and the Huda um, each think that there um, that even if you're dealing with um, with stomach lining, right, which is you know unquestionably case right un- um, considered meat, that you're al- that if it's completely dried out, you can even cook it together with milk, and it's not going to create it's not going to create a prohibition. So therefore, he says, um, if that's true about stomach lining, then obviously it's true of regular skin, and therefore, if it is totally dried out, you don't have to you don't have to worry about the prima gadim, and you can treat it as um, as completely part. Okay. So now the question is, however, um, is the skin that um, is turned into gelatin considered to be completely dried out um, dried out or not? And so now Rav Moshe does not engage in the fancy discussion. He's not interested in the question of whether the skin is transformed in such a way that um, that the gelatin is no longer related to the skin. He's not interested in the question of whether the process of turning skin into gelatin, uh, in that process, whether it's removed from the category of food entirely. Um, right. So none of those. None of those are his issues. Right. He's assuming that we're just taken. We're taking the skin and we're turning it into uh, we're turning it into gelatin, and at the time he doesn't assume the skeleton the, the gelatin has been completely uh, has been completely desiccated. But he says the grounds that he's given us so far is that since the prima gut, since really he thinks that skin per se is never meat, and it's only the prima gutim who says that skin is considered meat dirabanan. So therefore, he says, if you can add, right, so since the prima gadim is controversial, so what you have here is a suffix Durabanan. So if you can add another suffix, you can add another doubt, um, then, right, as to whether there's any prohibition here, then it should be okay. So in the case we've dealt with so far, where it's totally desiccated, he thinks there's not even a doubt. That's just, uh, that's just permitted. But he says, But he says, if there's any other doubt that arises as to whether this uh, whether this this particular skin product um, should be a problem in terms of kashrut, when uh, in terms of meat and milk, you're allowed to you'll be leaving any kind of another doubt. So what's the doubt here? So he says, <laughs> Even though he says you what, what you wrote is that you heard that gelatin has no effect on flavor, meaning that. Gelatin is the equivalent of a completely desiccated skin, but you don't know that for sure. So he says, you know, 
what you heard is not the kind of certainty that allows us halakhically to um, to violate what would be a definite prohibition, even if that prohibition is only drabanan. But here there isn't a definite prohibition. Here there's only the pro- a suffix prohibition because maybe the prima gaben is right and maybe not. Uh, so therefore he says, or but skin, which he thinks is more likely not a problem of meat and milk. Maybe, he doesn't tell us what the standard for maybe is in terms of halakhic disputes, right? In terms of factual disputes, you can talk about Nir Hamakre versus Chaytas, whether that same kind of standard, whether you can assign percentages to, uh, or the equivalent of percentages to the odds of a particular halakhic decision being correct or not is not clear. So, but he thinks the prima gaudium has a less than 50% chance of being correct that uh, skin creates a milky meat problem, and therefore it's at least a, um, at least we already have um, one, um, one suffix to in fact he thinks maker Indina already could be mutter, but he can't, he's koshesh to a prima gaudium, again, right, the same, you see how that language interrates, uh, interrelates. However, he says, um, since skin, right, since skin is more likely not that way, it's just a little bit of a suffix, so therefore he says, you know what, since A, it's only a suffix Rabbanon in the first place, and now there's a suffix whether even according to the Prima Gunnan this is an issue because maybe gelatin doesn't have even any flavor at all, so that should be perfectly mutter. But he says, but if that's our rationale, Says, you know, but if that's really the, the the doubt, the doubt is whether gelatin gives flavor. So why do we have to? Why, why don't we just create a product which is carved uh, and put kosher gelatin in it, and let's have people taste it and see if the gelatin gives flavor or not? And he says, He's going to say, right? This is a stronger statement I think than he said previously. He's going to say, he says that for the purpose of deciding whether we have a suffix here or not, the answer is that if there's evidence available and you're not looking at the, you're not getting the available evidence. Now, this doesn't seem to be quite like looking away. Here, it's, you know, it's quite a product, it's quite a production. You have to, um, you have to produce the product, you have to get people to taste it. Nonetheless, he doesn't seem to consider that a tirfa. Uh, maybe he doesn't consider it a tirfa because it's a one shot, right? You're, um, Right. All you have to do is get people to taste it once, and then it, and then it becomes committed, the whole product becomes committed forever. So that's a, a very low effort to result, um, result ratio. So he says that it seems to him that maybe then, right, maybe then you can't, at least for these purposes, right, that what we're trying to do is create a sveik sveika, right, a, a suffix on a suffix drabanan, a suffix really on a not even suffix drabanan. He says, well, a suffix perhaps is a more, is a formal category. You have to create a suffix. And it's not called a suffix when you can find out. That is very strong language, right? If we really held that, right? So then lots of other halachas, uh, right? It's, no, it's not a suffix, so what is it? Is it a vada in the other way? That's pretty strong language. Um, and uh, we have to figure out how, how, right, how strongly he means this, that when you, ha- when you can investigate. Again, it says bother, you don't have to investigate. But when you can investigate, um, although, again, it's not here that it's just a case of trust. We have to 
right, so what does he mean, right, what is it, under what circumstances would he go so far as to say that if there's evidence available, even though you are in doubt, for halakhic purposes you are not in doubt, halakhic purposes you have to assume, you have to assume the worst case scenario. Um, now another issue is that even if once we accept that there are circumstances where he, uh, where he makes this claim is that the existence of a doubt in your mind, which is resolvable, is not a halakhic doubt. So why does he say, Why does he say, maybe you have to do this, right? If that's the case, then certainly you should have to do it. Uh, so it could be that he's, uh, you know, so that this entire principle might be going too far for him, uh, especially since here you really didn't need the second suffix in the first place because he thinks, it's right, there's no problem of him at all generally. So to set standards for the second suffix for the space taker might be too much. It is also possible that uh, you know, Ashkenazim generally are less reliant on, um, right, we generally rely on uh, Tfisim as opposed to as opposed to Case to determine whether something is gives flavor generally. So here, um, maybe, right, even for these purposes, it might be he thinks that to require Ashkenazim to engage in a verification procedure when halakhically we're not comfortable with the reliability of that verification procedure, uh, especially in this case, right? That means it's combined with the, especially in this case where he, he might think that you don't need a real second, like, he seems to state that in halakha you don't need a second suffix at all. Uh, maybe that would be going too far for him um, to say, you, know, you definitely have to check, and that's why he says maybe there's a requirement of a second suffix.